0: The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist,
1: therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed.
0: Welcome to Recovery, the Hero's Journey. Your host is Dr. Patricia Halligan. If addiction or prescription drug dependence affects you, directly or indirectly, whether it's you, a family member, or a close friend, stay tuned over the next hour as we explore substance use disorders, process addictions, and prescription drug dependence. We'll be discussing the painful reality behind these disorders and what can be done to help. Now, here is Dr. Patricia Halligan.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Halligan. Welcome to Recovery, The Hero's Journey. Today, we're talking about internet addiction. It's not in the American Psychiatric Association's DSM-5, but it should be. We see the same brain changes, the same compulsions, the same out-of-control behavior, and the same damaging consequences as with alcohol and drug addictions. There's no one better than Dr. Hillary Cash to talk about internet addiction. Dr. Hilary Cash is a PhD psychologist. She's recognized as one of the nation's leading clinical experts in the growing field of internet and gaming disorder. Dr. Cash began her work in the emerging field of internet addiction in the mid-90s. In 1999, she co-founded an outpatient clinic called Internet Computer Addiction Services in Redmond, Washington. In 2008, Dr. Cash co-authored the book, Video Games and Your Kids, How Parents Stay in Control. And in 2009, she co-founded Restart Life, the first residential program in the United States or Canada designed explicitly for adults and adolescents who are experiencing addiction to the internet and video games, as well as other mental health problems. In addition, Restart offers a transition program for adults and outpatient services. She has co-authored several peer-reviewed journal articles and a workbook published by the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. Dr. Cash has been training parents, therapists, and researchers and educators since the 1990s. Dr. Cash, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
1: This is a really important subject, and I think it's very underdiagnosed.
0: I would agree. I would agree.
1: I don't think that uh, therapists know the right questions to ask.
0: I think there are two problems. One is that therapists don't know the right question to ask. Um, That's one problem. Another problem is that many therapists are not adequately trained in behavioral addiction. And as a result, they tend to jump to the conclusion that if somebody comes in complaining of depression or anxiety or ADHD um, and they find that they are also using screens too much, many therapists tend to think that if they just address those comorbid conditions that the problem with screens is just going to somehow go away. Uh, It's a failure to understand process addictions.
1: That makes sense to me. Uh, Before I trained uh, through ITAP to do sex addiction therapy, uh, and I know you're trained through ITAP also, I didn't ask the right questions. And I also thought if we treat the underlying attachment disorder, the anxiety, the depression, then the uh, sex addiction will just get better on its own or the alcoholism will get better on its own or the drug addiction will get better on its own or the gambling. But by that time, by the time it's an addiction, I always say it has its own zip code.
0: (laughs) I think that's a very good way to put it. Yes. It, and it doesn't matter which came first. The reality is it uh, reinforce each, each part of this problem or this cluster of problems reinforces the others. Absolutely. And, can you tell us what
1: is internet addiction and what forms can it take? And you mentioned the word process addiction separate from alcohol
0: and drug addictions. Yes. So the process addictions is just a, a way we talk about the behavioral addictions. So in terms of what's going on in, in the brain, the neurological processes at work is actually very similar as you said, in your introduction. Um, it's defi- It's been now defined by the World Health Organization, which has recognized it. They've looked at the research and they've said, yes, this really is for real. And basically it is, there are three things they're looking for. Is a person out of control? Mm-hmm. Is a person making this priority over everything else in life? And as a result of this, are there negative consequences that are very significant? And if those criteria are met, then uh, you know a person can be diagnosed with what they're called, calling gaming disorders. So they're not taking it as broad as the whole of the internet, um, but there are multiple kinds of internet addiction or screen-related addictions Um, We find at Restart that most of the folks coming in are addicted to video games, Mm -hmm. but we know that there's addiction to social media, we know that there's addiction to pornography, we know that there's addiction to online trading, Uh, even just general surfing and uh, looking for information can actually become an addiction, has the potential to become an addiction as well. So there are many different forms And if the person comes knocking
1: on your door and gives you a call and they're seeking help for, say, a video gaming addiction, what are they telling you with respect to what's going on in their world? What's a typical
0: case presentation? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Because uh, first of all, what we find is that most of the calls we get are for either adolescents or Mm -hmm. young adults. Mm -hmm. In the case of adolescents, what parents and it's almost always the parents that call, not the person who's addicted. I bet so when the parents call of an adolescent, what they typically say is, My and it's almost always sons, my son is uh, starting to fail. He's bright, he used to do well in school, and now he's failing. He used to have friends, but now he's isolating up in his room and doesn't want to do anything with his old friends unless it's online playing the video game together. Mm -hmm. Um, When we try to get him off of uh, his gaming and close down the computer, he becomes violent, verbally violent or physically violent. We're scared of him. We've had to call the police on him. This is... You know, some combination of those things is what's really typical. Um, and then with the adult population that comes to us, and they're anywhere from eighteen to thirty, usually, although sometimes we we'll get people who are older, um, they are have typically failed out of college, mm. failed out of work if they were working and failed at relationships if they ever had been in relationships. The vast majority of them have never been in relationships. They have had a heavy diet of pornography all through their adolescence, and they have what we would call an intimacy disorder. They're terrified of dating, and so they avoid it. Um, And and so that's part of the picture, but the other part that – is often unappreciated is how physically damaging this addiction is. The young adults who come to us are usually either underweight or overweight. And when they're underweight, that is often very severe because an addiction to the screen is so mesmerizing that it overrides all of the body's natural needs. So the need for sleep, the need for healthy food, the need for um, physical exercise. And all of those tend to be very neglected. And so they're they're coming in, as I say, sometimes severely underweight, uh, loss of even desire to eat, or very overweight because when they eat, it's just junk food. They come in um, severely sleep deprived. Uh, They come in uh, very deconditioned because even if they had as adolescents actually been athletes and very physically active, by the time they come to us, they're very out of shape because they haven't been exercising. So these are the typical things and they failed out of college. Likewise, much younger children can also suffer. One of the problems we're finding is that the age of children being introduced to screens is going down. It used to be that kids were introduced to screens when they maybe were six, and their parents gave them a Game Boy to start playing, but now... um, Parents are handing iPhones and iPads to their kids uh, who are newborns, infants, because, again, all of the content is designed to be mesmerizing. And so little kids will shut up and, and watch and look at the screen and learn very early, very, very early, toddlers are doing this, to touch the screen and make something happen. And so I think attachment disorder problems are going to become worse and worse as a result of this. And the French have uh, coined the phrase virtual autism, because uh, there are, you know, if you have a child who is not interacting adequately with the parent, the parent is on his or her screen, They're, they've given a, a screen to the infant and the toddler, there's not enough attachment happening. No, right. of course
1: not. Because in attachment, I think you need the tone of voice and you need facial expressions and you need body language. Uh, mm-hmm. Virtual relationships are, are not the same as uh, human face-to-face interactions, are they, for growth and
0: development of a, of a child? That's absolutely right. And you know, we are social animals. And so we need a great deal of of social contact and social interaction. And I think many people, and COVID, of course, has just exacerbated this problem, but people who are lonely are likely to go online in search of um, feeding that need in some way, be it in a a game or with pornography or social media. Um, And the reality is that online relationships do not uh, substitute for the face-to-face real thing.
1: No, they they really don't. I, I know that you are one of the experts working with the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Canadian Pediatric Society to design guidelines for technology use in children. And I wonder if you could tell me a
0: little bit about these recommendations. Well, we really recommend that children under two simply not be uh, in placed in front of placed in front of screens or handed screens at all and, now, and does that involve TV also it does yes oh
1: oops. Because, I really yeah. failed miserably <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll so, just
0: put my guilt on a shelf and we'll continue the interview. <laughs> But the reality is that television, which is passive, is far less engaging for children than the interactivity of a screen, um, you know, which these screens that children are handed, that where they can touch and something happens. That ability to interact with the screen actually is much more mesmerizing than the passivity of television. But the conservative if you want to be really careful, advice is don't give screens to kids under the age of two, and then let it be still avoid the interactive screens. Let them watch, you know, up until elementary school, they can watch anywhere from a half an hour to an hour of screen time, Uh, ideally, an occasional movie that takes two hours. But if you will do that as a parent with your kids and wait for that interactivity, which is more mesmerizing, to not occur until they're a bit older, then you're you're allowing time and experience that children need so that they develop in normal, healthy ways, uh, because that's what's happening with screens is that they're pushing out the other experiences that children need in order abnormal development.
1: This makes sense. Virtual autism. I've never heard of that before. That's fascinating. And it's, it's really sad. I don't know when it was in society that I walked through an airport. I, re- I actually remember the airport and all of a sudden everybody's faces were uh, glued to their uh, iPhones and mm-hmm. nobody was talking to anybody. And then people were looking at their iPhones in restaurants and people were taking their iPhones to the restrooms with them. Uh, it, this this has really dominated our culture. It's getting it's getting quite pervasive, isn't it?
0: Yes, I mean at the, at the, so many of the airports that I've been to uh, in recent years, there at the tables there are is inter, there are interactive screens that are yes. already so, being provided so that people don't have to talk to each other.
1: So don't expose children to screens until the age of two. And then until they enter kindergarten, maybe keep it to a half an hour to one hour a day. And that includes television, correct? And it does. Yes. Okay. And then, but I guess between the age of uh, six and 18, what are you restricting the kids to screen time wise?
0: Uh, I mean, these are just ballpark uh, kind of notions. And to give people an idea of kind of where to go again in the elementary years i would say no more than an hour okay ideally uh with an occasional movie you know the family can sit down together and watch a movie together on the weekend and and that'll be fine but otherwise keep it to that one hour limit of personal screen time for kids and ideally keep them off the internet except for their schoolwork, which unfortunately is more and more now on the internet but but a a rule in the home can be that the internet is only for schoolwork. It is not actually for anything else during the elementary years. In middle school, parents might decide they're willing to let their children do something online that is social or personal uh, entertainment. uh, And And they might then think in terms of maybe two hours of screen time that's just personal, but always it has to be when everything else is taken care of. So parents need to really understand that, you know, schoolwork has to come first, exercise, social time, getting chores done, uh, adequate sleep, all of that needs to come before entertainment. So
1: this makes sense. And so the child who grows up hooked on screens five,
0: six hours a day, normal growth and development doesn't take place. The things that are are common problems that children will experience is uh, a lack of physical interest in physical movement, lack of social interest because they are going to be falling behind their peers in social interaction, and therefore, in developing social skills. So this, the social side is very, very important. Uh, and and we're seeing a lot of problems with that. Uh, physical problems. Uh, Chris Rowan is a pediatric occupational therapist who works in the school systems up in Canada. And she, and I, I know her very well. And she reports how the kindergartners that come to her who have had lots and lots of screen time are so underdeveloped physically that they cannot, they don't have core strength enough to hold themselves upright on the seat, on the edge of a chair. Oh, isn't that tragic? Yeah. And, because and
1: they've been just mesmerized and mesmerized and sitting in front
0: of a screen. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And we know that there are attentional problems that can occur uh, depending on what children are doing on screens. But many of the activities that screens engage in, children engage in, are very require very short attention span and reward come rewards come very immediately, and this starts to look like ADHD it certainly and it may not be true ADHD but it certainly starts to look like ADHD that makes sense so attentional problems are 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 well documented so there are a number of problems but these are among those and and sleep deprivation is a huge problem with kids of all ages who are allowed on to have too much screen time uh, sc- the the light from screens will inhibit the release of melatonin, which mm-hmm. is the hormone that makes people feel sleepy and feel like going to going to sleep. And, um, and so kids will, who are allowed screen time up to bedtime are going to have trouble falling asleep. And if they are allowed to have screens like a, a phone in their bedroom or, or, a computer or a television, any of those things in the bedroom are a really bad ideas. So no screens in the bedroom, folks. This is super helpful. Now, who are the at-risk people to develop
1: an internet addiction? Uh, it, boys more than girls, I think I heard you say. Um, and I wonder about uh, cultural risks. Uh, I also wonder uh, different
0: uh, genetic contributions. Right. There are many things that contribute uh, to a person's vulnerability. And yes, it does seem that boys, well, certainly boys are more at risk of a video game addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, Girls tend to get more caught up with, and therefore a certain percentage of them addicted to social media. Boys are also more likely to be drawn to pornography than girls although that number is narrowing you know that gap is narrowing Mm -hmm. um and so um so that's a predisposition kind of in different directions but i have to say the calls we get at restart we've been open for 13 years and in 13 years we've only had 10 females come for treatment and that tells you something about how even if girls are getting addicted and young women are getting addicted, let's say to social media and certain kinds of video games, usually it's more casual video games. Right. They're still f- remaining more functional, it mm-hmm. would appear, than um, than the males. Um, so that's 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 interesting, right there. Um, I wonder,
1: are there certain video games that are more addictive than others? and certain uh, apps or uh, social media platforms that are more addictive than others? And if so, I wonder
0: what makes them more addictive. Of course, I know the most about uh, video games because th- those are the people who come to restart. And there, there is wonderful music that's created for video games. The graphics are very um, compelling. The storylines to be either the hero or the anti-hero. Uh, are, you know, capture people's imaginations, the opportunity to uh, experiment with being somebody quite different from who, who you normally are. Um, there are just all of these layers that are very, very rewarding to people. The opportunity for cooperation, the opportunity for competition, the opportunity to be recognized as somebody with enormous talent, uh, which is there for all to see. To the opportunity to feel that you belong, that you have a community that you belong to, is very compelling for many people. And the and the lonelier you are in the world, the more you experience the world as a place that is not full of reward. You're you're not feeling successful in the world uh, socially or academically or in your job or whatever. Um, You know, here's a place where it's a lot easier than the real world to feel that you're somebody important, that you really have developed some important skills that are recognized. It's just easier to feel good about yourself as far as having talent and being recognized for it goes. So
1: are people with social anxiety more vulnerable to developing uh, addictions to a video game, would you imagine?
0: Yes, absolutely. So the people who, uh, of about a third of our clients are on the autism spectrum, or at least have traits that we oh. associate with autism. Okay. And that means that they are socially anxious. But almost everybody who comes actually has developed social anxiety, whether or not they're on the autism spectrum, they've spent too much time in front of screens, not enough time face to face with people socially. And in the out of their isolation has come a lot of social anxiety. Now, kids who were bullied, kids mm-hmm. who, you know, for whom uh, the social experience at school was painful, it might be discrimination on the basis of race or uh, gender identity or whatever. But these are all things that might lead to uh, people being shunned. People being bullied, and and those would be reasons why somebody might seek solace and escape in a screen, which is very handy. It's right there. It's available twenty four seven, depending on how family manages it. And uh, so those are those create vulnerabilities.
1: This makes sense. Yeah, you can escape into fantasy and still feel important and connected, but you're not at risk for being vulnerable.
0: Right uh, ADHD, a lot of our clients have ADHD or have been diagnosed with it, whether or not it is the real thing. Nonetheless, they have a very short attention span okay. and a thirst and hunger for stimulation. And, um, that makes them vulnerable as well. Certainly people with trauma in their background mm. are more vulnerable. I mean, I just think of it as people who are in physical and psychological pain, want relief from their pain. And this, uh, screens and access to the internet and all that the internet has to offer is right there. It's socially acceptable. It's affordable. It's right there.
1: And is online gaming linked to
0: substance use, do you find? We do find that linked in two different ways. First of all, if somebody is a primary substance abuser, when they stop, when and if they stop, let's say they go for treatment, those neural pathways are craving stimulation still, but they have committed to or they don't have opportunity to get their drugs. Therefore, they might easily turn and um discover that gaming or social media or whatever uh, is satisfying the, those cravings. So I've seen there, that a lot, like develop a cross addiction. Yes, exactly. And, and so that is, I think, quite common. Mm-hmm. And um, But the other thing I've seen at Restart is that a, a, an increasing number of our clients are coming in having also a pretty extensive and long history with marijuana use in particular. And uh, marijuana is, in fact, online sites that sell marijuana are often geared to gamers and saying, you know, if you want a a stimulant type of experience, it might enhance your gaming skills. And if you want uh, just to sit back and relax and, and not feel so competitive, you know, buy this kind of marijuana. So, yes, marijuana is pretty common. And sometimes it's other drugs, but less frequently. And is
1: there a withdrawal syndrome when you take somebody's uh, computer or smartphone away? We
0: absolutely do. And um, in fact, there's a wonderful book that I can recommend to your audience. Um, It's called Reset Your Child's Brain by Victoria Dunkley. Mm -hmm. And, And she prescribes a month of zero screens for a child. And, you know, the parent has to figure out how to do that. And it's not going to be easy, but it takes about a month for a child's brain and for an adult's brain, we see as well, to come back to upregulate to normal functioning. And so during that period, you, you get various things. Anger is common. And In the case of children with very little impulse control, that anger might turn to violence. It's less likely to in adults, although it does sometimes. Um, So there's anger. Boredom is a huge complaint. Boredom, boredom, boredom. By the end of a month, they've figured out other things to do. But initially, they are so used to that. Easy, immediate stimulation that they get very, very bored. So they're lost. They don't know what to do with their time. Yeah. And yeah. restless, right? Absolutely.
1: <laughs> very uh, restless.
0: Yeah. And often difficulty concentrating, poor sleep, um, vivid dreaming, dreaming about video games. Um, or, and I'm sure they would be dreaming about social media and other things that that was what they were addicted to. And so there is this period. And and occasionally people will report uh, feeling kind of shaky for for several days. Mm -hmm. So more depressed, more anxious, poor concentration. All of these are symptoms which go away for the most part, for most people after a month.
1: It's very similar to someone giving up alcohol or drugs. Uh, They just can't soothe themselves in the beginning any other way. Right. Um, and I wonder if this goes back to the attachment disorder. if these kids grow up with a lot of screens, they don't have the experience of being soothed by adults. So they go to something inanimate, whether it's an uh, you know alcohol, drugs, uh, pornography or you know games, uh, gambling, social media to soothe them, right? So I guess in your treatment center, part of the treatment is, how do you ad- how do you address um, learning how to connect with other people when they've been so isolated and so dependent on screens
0: for, I guess, connection? Yeah, it is. Uh, they are never in an environment which is which has many people in it. So, or or rarely are they in an environment like that. So when they first come, they come to the ranch. And at the ranch, there are no more than six clients. And as long as they're in the intensive part of the program, which lasts three months, they're not going to be housed with more than six people at a time, plus one or two staff. So it is a social environment, which is not terribly threatening. And they love connecting with people who have similar experiences. Any addict does. But Some of them have come to us from a drug and alcohol environment, treatment environment, which where they felt like misfits because drug addicts and alcoholics do tend to have quite different histories. They've developed different personalities. Our guys are socially avoidant, but when they can be with other socially avoidant guys...
1: (laughs) They fit right in. Yeah, they fit right in. That's their tribe. That's right. Right. So if you've got a parent who thinks that their child or a teenager or young adult child has a problem with the internet, uh, with video game addiction. How do you suggest that they approach that that child, whether it's a teenager, a young child, or a young adult, college-aged
0: kid? Well, I do suggest that they get one of a number of different books which have been written kind of as manuals to follow, oh, perfect. And, and we'll give them uh, real guidance in kind of how to talk with their kids and and how to start this process and reset your child's brain is one example. Uh, my own book, Video Games and Your Kids, is another example. Um, and there and there are um, several others. So get a book or several books, and read them and get yourself prepared. Find, if you can, a, a family therapist who is knowledgeable. If they're not knowledgeable, it's better not to be working with them, I think. Uh, and or a coach who can help uh, guide a family through this process, a parent coach who's knowledgeable, again, specifically in this area of screen addiction and um then it's a matter of starting a conversation with your kids and saying you know we have a problem we're going to have to solve the problem i want your input Mm -hmm. if at all possible (laughs) as we figure out what need to be the appropriate boundaries on the use of screens and um we can start uh, take a harm reduction approach. We can start by, you know, just reducing it bit by bit until we get to the target amount. Mm-hmm. Um, if that doesn't work, though, then we're going to have to just go cold turkey for a month. And during that month, we're going to have a conversation about what seems reasonable, and um, and what applies to the kid needs to apply to the parents too. This is one of the big problems we run into is, is parents being unwilling to limit their own screen use, even though they're asking that of their kids. So parents have to be willing to do it as well.
1: You make very uh, good points here. Uh, The first point I really liked was get yourself an expert, get yourself a family therapist or a parent coach who is very knowledgeable about internet and video game addiction. It's the same that we would say if somebody had a child with an eating disorder or uh, a young uh, college student with a pornography addiction, get yourself somebody schooled in that particular addiction. Uh, Not just any therapist will do. How do you find a Parent, coach, or a therapist trained in video game addiction.
0: Well, uh, Google searches, <laughs> of oh, course, yep. Yep. Uh, often bring you the information you need. But if you if you live in an area where there is no expert, and there are lots of cities and rural areas where there are no experts. Um, it's going to be, it, it might be really quite tough, but the good news is that because of COVID people are often therapists are often now able to work across state lines and as our coaches as well. So if nothing else, give me a call and I will help you get, find somebody that you can work with and, um, Patricia, feel free to give my number. If you want to put it up on the screen, feel free, or my email contact. That uh, would what's
1: be. What's the best way, uh, uh, Dr. Cash? Would it be to contact Restart Life and ask to speak to Dr. Hillary
0: Cash, or would you prefer uh, an email? They Either way will do. If they call Restart Life, um, it is easy enough to – learn what is my extension. Okay. Um, and let me see for a, Yeah. And my email is Hillary cash at restart But Hillary has to be spelled correctly. And that spelling is H I L a R I E. So Hillary dot cash at restart And I will, uh, depending on where you are, um, I may know of somebody who's in your area. Otherwise, I can put you in touch with people to talk to. That would be really helpful.
1: Um, do you ever run into a situation where parents say, "I need an interventionist to bring my child to your treatment center," or um, I, or or an adult, you know, my husband, or uh, you know, my college-age son? Yes,
0: we actually we have worked over the years closely with a company that's out here in, in the Seattle area. They're called Carefrontations. And they have done a very good job of really understanding um, our clients and those the family dynamics that go along with our clients. And so yes, when a family does not know how else to get their kid to us, be it that kid adult or underage, um, we do make referrals. And tell me a little bit
1: about your teen program. Um, I I like that on your website's description of your teen program, you say, reconnect with your greatness. And I wonder if you could say something
0: about that and tell us a little bit about the teen uh, program. Okay. The teen program is um, housed on 32 incredibly gloriously beautiful acres that look right over – the Cascade Mountains. And, oh, spectacular. Uh, oh, it's marvelous. And there's an island in the middle of the, the Sultan River that they get to go to. And during the summer, they can camp there and have bonfires and all of that. It's really a fun place. Sort of feels like a summer camp quite a bit. <laughs> sounds, <laughs> and, sounds wonderful. It is wonderful. And um, we're also set up and licensed as a school. So many of the kids that come have very poor GPAs. And they really, once they finally sort of get in the groove, they can start making up those for those poor grades that they had before. Mm-hmm. And um and it again, it's a small program. It's not like, you know, the maximum number we could house in our two houses is 16. And um, we usually have fewer than that. So it's a small, intimate program, and uh, the kids come for a minimum of three months, and many of them stay six to nine months. Oh, isn't that wonderful? I hear you have
1: an art center, a music center, a basketball court, indoor pool, it, it, and outdoor activities. You try to get them back into their bodies, right, and appreciating yeah. exercise, and,
0: and there are no screens, correct? That is correct, except with the following exception. in both the adolescent and adult program, they get a once a week movie oh. and and uh, and it has to be reasonably therapeutic, uh, a reasonably therapeutic movie. Um, and then if they reach a level of readiness and and by that we mean they're, willingly getting their chores done, keeping their living space clean, participating uh, in all aspects of the program well, including their schooling. And they have what we'd call a recovery mindset. So they they want recovery. They get why they need to be there. Um, Then they can start taking a course online for their school. And if that goes well, they can take a second course. So online schooling, it becomes available at a certain point in the program.
1: I love that. And for men who are coming into your program, so these are adult men, and if they're addicted to video games,
0: is there a popular video game that men are addicted to? Well, they off, there are many, many different games that are popular and that they often love. Um let's see, League of Legends is a really very, very common one right now. When we first opened, it was World of Warcraft. Some are still playing World of Warcraft. Right, um, right. The, uh, they like all kinds of games. Counter-Strike is a really popular one. Some of them who are not interested in the violence of Counter-Strike and those kinds of games still love Minecraft and uh, that kind of game. So quite an
1: assortment. And do you separate the men addicted to pornography from the men who are addicted to video games in the adult uh, treatment
0: center? We do not. If somebody comes and truly their primary addiction is uh, of a sexual nature, then we are going to ask that they go for treatment elsewhere Mm -hmm. and come back to us. But that's not usually the case. The The usual case is that there's just a mix. It, it, they're playing video games and they're looking at pornography, some more, some less. But it's just, it's all in the mix, as is some amount of social media as well. It's very common that they like to watch other gamers game on YouTube, on Twitch, on on certain websites, they like to read. They like to go to gaming websites and read up on games and that kind of thing. So it's it's a whole mixture of things that they're doing.
1: Are people addicted to TikTok? Uh, are they calling you with that addiction?
0: Not yet. Not yet. All right. That's probably coming. Yes. I would well, imagine. And um, what we have is a three-month intensive program that's followed by a transition program. And in the transition program, which on average is about six months long, mm-hmm. they are now learning. They're they're getting the opportunity to practice uh, on computers, using computers not for entertainment but for job hunting, uh, s- some schoolwork if they've signed up for a class uh, at the local college, and so forth. And so, uh, it's it's and they are. Not allowed a smartphone that functions as a smartphone initially, because what we often find is that that is a stumbling, big moment of stumbling and relapse for many of them. But once they've gotten uh, they've left the what is more like a retreat environment, and then they're now coming into the real world, they're living in apartments, they're expected to get jobs, they're using our computer lab, and so forth. Now they're having to deal with, a, with triggers um, everywhere. At every turn, there are lots and lots of things triggering their desire to go back to their old habits. And we try to minimize that by not giving them a smartphone. Initially, until they've had a chance to establish some real roots, and do twelve-step work, and get a sponsor, and and be further down the road of recovery, before they are handed handed the bomb of uh, of a smartphone.
1: That's wonderful. It's very safe. It's like a learning lab and you get them to um, basically acclimate to the real world in a very safe container. So you can keep them in outpatient services after their intensive residential treatment. This is truly a comprehensive, wonderful program, Restart Life.
0: Yes. And I love the title. Did you pick the name Restart Life? Oh, we did. Well, initially we just called it Restart Mm -hmm. and then uh, we added the life later. Yeah, And so your most successful clients
1: would tell you what, what do you want? What's the goal? What are they going to feel ultimately? If you think, if you conjure up successful people that have been through your treatment program, what's
0: the goal? Uh, The goal is for them to have ways of coping with difficulty and ways of enjoying themselves and ways of uh, being social which have nothing to do with the internet and screens. Mm. and So, and as a result of that, our goal is that they be sort of living happy and fulfilled lives, making, mm, finding their way so that they can fulfill their potential. I have a young man in mind who is, who came to us when he was 26 and he's now in his early thirties. And he's, Held he first held a part time job, now he holds a full time job, as well as he's full time at the University of Washington. He's getting the degree he wants to get, he will probably go on for a master's degree uh, in the, that field. He is he's living with recovery buddies, all of whom graduated from restart. So he always is coming home to a safe recovery environment. Oh, this is lovely and he when when he came to us he was on the verge of suicide his parents accidentally interrupted his suicide plan oh. and um and now he's you know he's a happy man
1: post post treatment and A lot of group work, I would imagine, they say the antidote to addiction is connection. And that's what you do at Restart, right? You connect them to themselves, to their own feelings, and reconnect them with other people and help them move through their trauma and develop social skills and teach them what to do with their downtime and how to have fun in recovery. This is a big
0: job, Dr. Cash. It is a big job, which is why uh, recovery takes a long time. Right, right. It it sounds super
1: hopeful. Um, are there twelve step groups for people with video game addictions?
0: Well, here in the Seattle area, the answer is yes. There are. Uh, there is at least one public ITAA meeting. At least there used to be. I hope it's still there. We developed a, a twelve step program called Internet and Technology Addicts Anonymous. Oh, how wonderful! Yeah. That is a 12-step program that uh, we run at Restart for our clients. Cool. Um, but but the Alano Club uh, used to have it, and I hope they still have it. And I know that, in fact, today I just was on the phone with a former client who is uh, back on the East Coast and is about to start an ITAA meeting there. So those exist. And there are other uh, Online Gamers Anonymous is another one. Um, there are several that have developed over the years that are related to this area. Um, but what we find it, it's very interesting. Um, our clients often enjoy going to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous because oh. they start to realize that they have an intimacy disorder and that that is a wonderful program for addressing intimacy disorder. Many of them love going to AA meetings where they get to see, you know, and listen to people who've been in decades of long-term recovery. Um, and they often feel very inspired by that. Gamblers Anonymous is another one that they find often is they can relate to what they hear there. So many different kinds of programs that people can go to. Not I think all. It's- I think it's wonderful. Um,
1: And if you are a therapist listening to this program today and want to be trained to help people with an internet addiction, whether it's gambling or internet video games or social media addiction, what do you recommend? Where should they call? What kind of training is being offered across the country?
0: Well, there are a number of training opportunities. Um, The, International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals is going to be offering that training um, coming up. I, I in the in the next year. There, the International Gambling Commission is putting together a 30-hour training as well. And um, I'm part of the group that's working on developing that training. And Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling is uh, offering a 15 hour training. Uh, we're in the midst of one right now, and they will keep offering it. So, and that's the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling and Gaming. And Tracy Markle is in Colorado. She's offering, uh, she and Dr. Kennedy are offering a, an online training that is excellent. They are very, very knowledgeable. So yeah, there are some really great opportunities to learn.
1: This is wonderful. And we're within a couple of minutes of closing. I wonder if there's somebody listening today who feels hopeless and isolated and just totally absorbed with uh, an addiction to the internet and just feeling very, very lonely and without hope, what would you say to this person?
0: Uh, give me a call
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're awesome by the way. I, you're sure. very easy to talk to you're very down to earth and you're very generous.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean somebody who is struggling like that you know they need to, from some professional help and it's, yeah they it, can't do this on their own can they No they and they shouldn't try but I can certainly give them ideas. And I may know someone where they live that can help them. And, and I can encourage them to go find a 12-step group to get involved with.
1: Has this been a fulfilling career?
0: Oh, it's been a marvelous career. Yes.
1: Oh, and, and what keeps you coming back?
0: <laughs> well, um, gosh. First of all, just the success of seeing somebody get healthy is incredibly rewarding. Um and so that is probably the first thing that keeps, keeps me coming back. But this is a pioneering, fascinating field. And uh, the technology is developing faster than research can keep up with it. So those of us on the front lines of treating people who are suffering from as a result of this technology, you know, we can do our best to kind of keep up with what's happening and that is actually a very, you know, it, it keeps this a very interesting and, and rewarding field. And by the way, I do maintain a listserv. So if anybody wants to be added to the listserv, I I just disseminate interesting articles and, and research that I hear about through that listserv. So if anybody wants to contact me and ask to be added, I will do so.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I just can't thank you enough for all the information you've shared today. You've taken us from attachment disorder and raising children to internet addiction and treatment. And I think your pioneering work and efforts in this area, I think is going to impact the future generation in a very positive way. And I think if we can educate the schools and educate the parents, which is what you've been doing the whole time, I think we have a chance to save a lot of children from going down a a very lonely, isolated path of pain and suffering. So thank you so very much, Dr. Hilary Cash, for being with us today on the show. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so
0: much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
1: Absolutely. This is Recovery, The Hero's Journey, and I will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week. Recovery, The Hero's Journey, is broadcast every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific time
0: and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel. As you wait for our next program, remember, you are definitely not alone.